Welcome to the Experience Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Justina Brownlee. It's our prayer that this message is not only an encouragement, but a blessing to your life. But it is an honor every time I get to stand on the platform and deliver the word. I love the word of God. I hope that if you get anything by coming to this house, you leave with a greater love for Jesus and love for his word. If you leave with that, then man, you really got what God wanted you to get here. And so that's the hope today. And before we jump into the message today, I do want to look on the other side of that screen for all of those joining us online or those joining us in one of our correctional facilities. Maybe you're joining us for service there or at Belize Central Prison. We love you. Come on, church. Welcome our church family. We believe in you. You are family to us. Well, we've been in our series called Sizzlin' Summer, and through the summer, we do this series every summer, and it gives us an opportunity to preach some topics that the Holy Spirit lays on our heart that maybe don't fit in a series throughout the year. And so this message today is no different. I'm excited about it, but Sizzling Summer, I was thinking about that. It reminded me of a story I heard recently about an elderly man, and this elderly man had decided to go on his first cruise for his summer vacation, and so he takes a cruise, and he goes out on this cruise, and everything is going great until one day this storm takes over where they are, where they're cruising, and it's a terrible storm, so bad that it actually causes a young lady to be thrown overboard, and she plunges into the icy waters of the Atlantic, and then shortly after as the the crew and all the guests and everybody's watching this in dismay, can't believe what has just happened, suddenly this man plunges into the water, and they see this man rescue this young lady, and he's holding on to her and and to their surprise it happened to be the elderly man who was the oldest man on the ship and he's holding this young lady and they wait for for help to come and they get them out of the water and back onto the ship and then the next day the crew was so moved all the guests were so moved by this gesture of this elderly man plunging into the water to save her that they decide to throw him a banquet in his honor and so they throw this big banquet and they invite all the guests of the cruise ship and they invite this man this elderly elderly man to be at the banquet. And, and while they're at the banquet, they say to this man, would you like to say something? And so the man says, yes, I just want to know one thing. Now, as you can imagine, all the young men in the room are getting a little anxious, thinking they know what he's going to want to know in this moment. And the elderly man steps up to the mic and he says, I just want to know one thing. Who pushed me? Some of you will get that later tonight. (laughs) Sizzling summer, how that has nothing to do with the message. In fact, the title of the message today is The Story of Judas. The story of Judas. And I'm actually excited to get to share this with you because so often many of us have heard the story of Judas Iscariot. We know him. You may, even if you've never been to church, you probably know who Judas is. The man who was known as the traitor, the man who betrayed Jesus with a kiss and handed him over to be crucified. That's how we know Judas, the story of Judas. But I want to show you some things maybe that you've never seen in scripture about Judas before. And my hope is the Holy Spirit will give us revelation on this because I, I want to present to you that what Judas was susceptible to, so are you and I. And that's just what I want to propose today. And so I want to show you the very familiar story in John chapter 13. And when we get to John 13, what's happening here is what we call the Last Supper. 
Now, right before the dinner, Jesus has washed the feet of all the disciples. You remember that story from the Bible? He's washed the feet of the disciples, including Judas's feet. So Jesus has knelt at the feet of Judas. He's washed the feet. He has served Judas in such a gracious way in this moment. And then we get to John chapter 13, and this is what happens next, verses 19 through 30. It says this. I'm telling you now before it happens, Jesus says, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit, and he began to testify. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. And then one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Let me pause there because we have to give a shout out to John. Every time John talks about himself, he doesn't call himself John. He calls himself the one who Jesus loved. So I've just decided anytime I talk about myself from here on out in the message, I'm just going to refer to the one who Jesus loved. And you're going to know exactly who I'm talking about. But you, you, you'll get a kick out of that reading the book of John. You'll notice John calls himself the beloved disciple. Nobody else calls him that, just John, all the time. And so here, here he is, and, and basically um, it goes on to say his disciples stared at one another at a loss, and so Ju uh, John is reclining next to Jesus, and Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. And leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Let me pause there because it's interesting. The, the motion that Jesus just made, they call it dipping the bread and giving the first piece of bread. A lot of times that was a sign of honor and respect. So whoever at the table would have gotten that first piece of bread, that was an honorable thing to have just happened. And Jesus hands it over to Judas. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. And so Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Now what we need to know about Judas is before we get to John chapter 13, you can see in scripture that Judas has already gone to the priest and he's made a deal with them. And he has said, how much will you give me if I give Jesus over to you? And the priests have said, I'll give you, we'll give you 30 silver coins if you'll just betray Jesus and, and get him in our hands. And so Judas has already agreed to that, and Jesus knows it. And now they're sitting at the Last Supper. And then right after this dinner, we're told Judas gets up and leaves, just as Jesus had said. He goes and he finds the priests later that night, and he finds the Roman officials, and he leads them to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he knows he's going to find Jesus. And the rest is history. You know the story. He betrays Jesus with a kiss. And that's where we are in the story of Judas. Now we know Judas, most of us, we, we know him as traitor. We know him as the one who betrayed Jesus. But I just want you to remember that's not where his story started. In fact, when it comes to Judas, I want you to think about it with me just for a minute. Judas was one of the 12 disciples. 
Now what that meant is other, every other rabbi would have been chosen by his disciples. His disciples would have came in that culture, in that context, and said to the rabbi, I want to follow you. Jesus was different. The Bible tells us Jesus chose his disciples. So Jesus at some point, the Bible doesn't tell us when and it doesn't tell us how, at some point Jesus chose Judas. And Jesus said to Judas, I want you to come and be my disciple. I want you to come close. I want you to be in my inner circle. At some point, Jesus invited Judas to be one of the 12 disciples. You see, Judas was there and saw every miracle that Jesus performed. Judas was there when they brought their friend. The four friends brought the guy that couldn't walk. Remember the story? And they dug a hole in the house and they lowered him down to Jesus. Judas was there when Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven, now get up and walk. He watched it all happen. Judas was on the boat when the storm was raging like a hurricane and they woke Jesus up to calm the storm and Jesus stands up and makes the storm instantly stop. Judas saw that. Judas was there when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. Judas saw Jesus resurrect Lazarus who had been dead three days. Judas saw that. Judas was a close friend to Jesus. He was a follower. Judas was a brother to those other 11 disciples. He had a relationship with them. Judas had, in fact, the Bible tells us Judas had the same spirit anointing on him, and he was going out to preach the gospel, heal the sick, and cast out demons. All the disciples were called to do that and had the authority to do that, and he was one of them. And so here's Judas with all of this. And I had to ask myself, what was it that caused Judas to decide it was worth it to give up all of that? Everything that he knew, everything that he had simply for a bag of coins. I mean, what was it that was so powerful that would make Judas think this was a good trade? You see, Judas had seen all the miracles with his own eyes. Judas had heard the word of God from the lips of God with his own ears. Judas had followed in the same dirt, the sand of Jesus himself with his own feet. Judas had embraced Jesus, the son of God, with his own arms. We have to ask ourselves, what was it that made Judas think in that moment that it would be worth it to trade all of that for a bag of coins. Now, you see, I think very often if you've ever heard somebody teach on this or, or, or you read it for yourself, we come to the conclusion that it was greed. Now, I will say greed is present. The Bible tells us Judas was greedy. He was stealing money from the money bag the whole time. He definitely had a problem with greed, but I'm just suggesting to you today we've maybe missed something that you and I are susceptible to. Because the, if it were just greed driving Judas, I have a feeling if I were Judas, it would be more profitable to keep Jesus alive. I mean, Jesus is growing in fame. The crowds are growing. The money bag's definitely growing because more are giving offerings. Wouldn't you, if you're a greedy person like Judas, think, man, this is like a lifetime supply right here. I'm going to stay close to Jesus, and I'm going to keep taking what I want out of the bag, and nobody knows it. We know they don't know it because remember when we read the story and the disciples are having a freak-out moment? They're like, who? Who could it be? 
Who is it? We have no, we have no inclination. They didn't even know it could be Judas. How many of you know, does anybody have a room, like you have children at home, and somebody says, oh, this happened. Listen, at my house, I could tell you exactly who did it. I'm going to tell you which kid it was Braxton. That's who did it. I don't care what it was, Braxton did it. Is anybody else like that? You know, you would have thought in that moment with the disciples and Jesus, they would have been like, oh, no doubt it's Judas. Nobody knows. So much so that they're going, is it me? Is it me? And so if Judas is just greedy, I don't know. I don't know. I'm proposing to you it was something more powerful than greed. It was something more powerful than envy more powerful than lust, more powerful than pride. I think Judas was offended. And I want you to know, offenses are more dangerous than you think. Let me show you why I think it was offense that caused Judas to decide that trading all of this for that little money bag was worth it. Because when we get to Matthew chapter 26, there's a story about a woman with an alabaster jar. Now, you, you maybe have heard the story before, but here's what I want to ask you. Don't focus on the woman with the jar. I want you to focus on Judas in this story. Because we're going to learn something in this moment that could have driven a man to decide that it was worth trading all of that for 30 coins. And so we get to Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. And it says this, then Jesus went to Bethany to the home of Simon, a man who Jesus had healed of leprosy. And a woman came into the house. Now the other versions, because you'll find this story in Mark chapter 14 and you'll find it in John chapter 12. And the other gospels tell us a few more details than this. And we know this woman was Mary of Bethany. This was the sister of Martha. This was the sister of Lazarus. How many of you know she had a reason to break open her most expensive jar and offer it to Jesus? Jesus had just resurrected Lazarus from the dead. And now they're here having dinner together. and, And it says that she walked in holding an alabaster flask filled with fragrant and expensive oil. And she walked right up to Jesus. And in a lavish gesture of devotion, she poured out the costly oil. And it cascaded all over his head as he was at the table. Now, when the disciples saw this, they were offended. Now, let me pause there because, as I've already mentioned, this story is in John and it's in Mark as well. Now, we get details in John because John is very detailed. He tells us it wasn't all the disciples. It was one particular disciple. And he tells us in the book of John it was Judas. Judas was offended, the Bible says. And he says this. This is Judas speaking, John tells us. What a total waste. We could have sold it for a great deal of money and we could have given it to the poor. Now Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, why are you being critical of this woman? She has done a beautiful act of kindness for me. The other versions say he yells at them, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? And that's what he said to Judas in that moment. And then he goes on, he says, you're going to always have someone poor whom you can help, but you will not always have me. And when she poured that oil over me, she was preparing my body for burial. And I promise you that as this wonderful gospel spreads all over the world, the story of her devotion to me will also be mentioned in memory of her. 
And then, so that's it, verse 13. And then immediately in the book of Matthew and in Mark, immediately the very next verse, look what happens. Matthew 26, verse 14. One of the 12 disciples, Judas, the locksmith, went to the leading priest and said, how much are you willing to pay me to betray Jesus into your hands? And they agreed to pay him 30 silver coins. And immediately, Judas began to scheme and look for an opportunity to betray him. I'm just suggesting that offenses are more dangerous than you think. They're just more dangerous than we think because here's Judas, and yes, he's greedy, but he's also offended. And because he's offended, he's made this decision to betray the Son of God in this moment. In fact, I want you to see what Jesus himself says about offenses because in Matthew chapter 24, verse 10, the disciples are sitting with Jesus and they've asked Jesus, how will we know when we're in the last days? How will we know when we're in the last days? And Jesus begins to give them a list of signs. These signs are going to be taking place, and you're going to know you're in the last days. I, I want to say to you, go read Matthew chapter 24. There's no doubt we're in the last days. You and I could check every one of those boxes on the signs that Jesus said would be taking place. And this is one of the signs he tells the disciples that will tell us we're in the last days. And he says this, verse 10, and then many will be offended. Now, I love the language that Jesus uses here. He uses the word many. Let me tell you what that word, the actual word he's using there is. And then the majority of you will be offended. I think it's safe to say the majority of us in this room today are offended. That's what Jesus said. Because it's so easy. I mean, it's so easy. And he's saying, the majority of you, be careful because offenses are more dangerous than you think. And the majority of you will be offended at someone, at a situation, at a church, at something going on in your life. You will be, the majority of you will be offended. And here's why it's dangerous. He tells us the path it takes us on. And he goes on and he says, and then you will betray one another. And you will hate one another. And then false prophets will rise up and deceive many. I was thinking about that when I read that part about false prophets, and I thought, I think the reason false prophets get in there so easily is because offended people flock to offended people. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever been offended? And, like, you don't want anybody to challenge the offense going on in you. I want to go to somebody who's also offended about the same thing, and I want to throw a party. Let's party together over my offense. Offended people will find offended people to talk about it with. And when that happens, it's dangerous because that's when Jesus is saying, and then false prophets will arise and you'll be deceived and off you go. And so here we are, and then he goes on to say, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Jesus also said this about offenses in Luke chapter 17, verse 1. He's saying this again to the disciples. By the way, Judas was there. Judas heard Matthew 24. He heard every teaching. And Judas is here now. And Jesus says to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. In other words, later today, I want you to know, it is impossible that no offense will come your way. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming today, and it's coming fast, and it's coming hard. That's what Jesus, I love it because Jesus is known, I mean, the disciples, they're known for teaching. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible except this. 
It's impossible that you and I won't have an opportunity to be offended. And the thing is, offenses are more dangerous than you think. You'll be willing to trade some things you thought you would never trade for them. They're more dangerous than we think. And Jesus is saying it's a, it is impossible that offenses won't come knocking at your door. Now he uses a specific word when he says offenses here. And I've shown you this before, but the word is this in the Greek. It's the word scandalon. It's where we get our English word scandal from. I think it's interesting the two are connected. It's the word scandalon. And it means this, a stick for bait of a trap. It's generally some, it's comparing it to a snare, a stumbling block, an offense, the laying of a trap in someone's way. That's what he's saying here. Here's what I want you to know. When it comes to offenses and you go look at Judas, anytime Judas was there and the Bible shows us his offense or anybody else, just know Satan was always there too. Like, they're not separated. You'll hear Jesus say it. There was Judas and there was the devil. Well, because anywhere offenses, there's Satan too. And the Bible's trying to tell us he's setting a trap. He's setting a trap. And that's what the Bible compares the scandal on to. That's what Jesus is saying. Offense is like a trap. And the enemy himself is setting it in your path. He's laying it in your way. And he's going to bait it. You see, because here's the thing, I think, I think, this is just my opinion, the enemy knew what bait to use for Judas. Judas is greedy. Judas wants money. He knew what bait to put in the trap. The bait, the greed wasn't the problem. I mean, it's a problem, don't get me wrong. But all the enemy did was set the trap for offense right in Judas's path and baited it with a little greed. And before he knew it, he climbed right in and there was no getting out. Because offense, Jesus is saying, it's impossible that traps won't be set in front of you. Beckoning you in, beckoning me in, saying, go ahead, climb on in. You should feel hurt. You should be mad. Can you believe what they said? Can you believe what that church did? Can you believe that pastor? He's not even funny. His wife is so much funnier. Is that a word? Are you offended? Come on, baby. Get on in here. Take you home. I don't know why my redneck voice just came out right then. I don't know. Please tell me I'm not the only one that has dealt with some traps of offense. And offended people will find offended people. And they'll agree with you. And they'll tell you why you should be mad, why you should leave them, why you should never come back, why you should quit, why you should stop, why you should take matters into your own. Oh, yeah, they'll tell you. Because they're being baited too. And that's what happened to Judas. Because offenses are more dangerous than you think. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, we'll get so used to being and feeling offended that it won't even take any bait anymore. Before we know it, we'll just climb on in ourselves. You don't need to bait me. I'm so used to being offended and critical. Here's how you know if you're offended. You're constantly critical. You're criticizing everything and everyone. You're constantly talking negative about them, about that situation, about that church, about that place, about that boss, whatever. I'm as guilty as you. Just know I'm getting a spanking too today. 
You'll be critical, but then you'll also rehearse it. You think about it, you think about it, and it grows. Before you know it, you've added details to the story that actually didn't happen, but you're convinced they did. You rehearse it over and over. I guarantee you Judas was rehearsing. Here's the thing, because when Judas is standing there, I don't think he's offended at the woman for pouring out the oil. Maybe, maybe yes, because of his greed. Think about it. If you're in that room and it's all your buddies, your boys, your bros, and we're all around, and Jesus, the rabbi, corrects you and looks at you and says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? You don't even know anything. I'm about to die and she knows it and you missed it. You don't, you don't think, you don't think, you don't think in that moment that you won't feel something. Oh, you're going to feel something. <laughs> and he felt something. And then I bet he walked away and he rehearsed it and he rehearsed it and he rehearsed it. And then you start avoiding people, avoiding places, avoiding situations. That's how you know you're offended. And then it's just hurting. It's always hurting. You always feel the pain. That's how we know when we're feeling offended and the trap has been set. But if we get used to always feeling like that, if we get used to always living like that, pretty soon it takes no bait at all. We just constantly walk right into the trap of offense. I was thinking about this and it reminded me just last week, I, me and Kyle took our boys fishing for an evening. It was an awesome night. And we took uh, Jace and Braxton out fishing. And, and we were all together at one point of, on one side of the lake and we're doing some fishing. And, and then I just kind of got tired of taking Kyle's fish off the hook for him and putting his worm on. So I'm like, I'm going to go. <laughs> Don't act like that didn't happen. I will tell the real story. So, maybe not just like that, but, and, and so I eventually grabbed Braxton, and we're going to go to the other side, and they wanted to catch some bigger fish, but I knew where the spot was you could catch the little perch, and at that age, I mean, at my age, who cares? I just want to fish on this hook. I don't care what size it is, and so there was this fun little spot, and me and Braxton were over there fishing, and you know, I was, I was putting the worm on. Don't think that I'm Miss High Maintenance, can't get down in, in the dirt. I'm a country girl at heart, and so I'm breaking the worm in two, and the guts are everywhere. It's so disgusting, but I'm getting it on the hook, and it's taking me for Ever and Brax is annoyed that it takes me this long, but man, I couldn't get him on the hook. And so, but we, he catches about three fish in this pattern. You know, we got to put the in the, and then sometimes he would cast so hard the worm would go flying and we'd have to start all over. You know how this goes. So, we were having to do a lot of work of just setting the bait over and over and over. At some point, Braxton must have just got annoyed and frustrated. He stopped telling me when the bait was gone and he just started throwing his hook out. No bait whatsoever. And I want you to know that child caught four fish in a row, zero bait, hook only. He just kept casting it out and yanking them in, casting out and yanking them in. And I thought about that. That's what can happen when we just get too used to living offended. We don't even need the bait anymore. I'm just going to climb in the trap. I'm just going to take a bite of the hook. Because offenses are more dangerous than we think. In fact, let me give you three things, three dangers of offense I want to share with you today. And we see it in the life of Judas. Here's the first one. Number one, offense will distort your view. Look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. It says this, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. 
Now what the, the writer of Proverbs here is painting, the picture he's painting for us, the idea is that an offended person will build a fortress around themselves. They picture big concrete walls. That's why it's saying it's a fortress around them. And it's a big concrete walls all the way around them so that, in other words, they only have one point of view. All they see is what's on their side of the wall. They can't see anything else because offenses will distort your view. They'll only make you see it through one vantage point. Suddenly you can't see the other side of the story. Suddenly you can't see the other person's perspective. Suddenly you can't see anything else. All you can see is the wall you built around because you were offended. All you can see is your vantage point. All you can see is your distorted point of view. And it's dangerous. In fact, think about Judas for just a minute because at one time, somewhere early on, Judas celebrated the crowds. He thought the crowds were amazing. He thought the crowds were the chance to give the kingdom. He was healing. He was seeing people healed. He was casting out demons. He was preaching the kingdom. The crowds were awesome, but somewhere along the way, he started getting inconvenienced and annoyed about the crowds. And then think about Judas. At one point, he thought Jesus was worthy of worship. He thought Jesus was worthy to follow. He thought he was worthy, but then at some point, because offense will distort your view, at some point, he started to think that the worship was waste. This is wasteful. Why pour this out on Jesus? You know, at one point, Judas saw Jesus as rabbi, teacher, Lord, friend, but at some point, because offenses will distort your view, he started to have the view that Jesus was the enemy. You know, I bet at one point he saw the Pharisees as the enemy. And he saw them as the ones against the kingdom. But at some point, because offenses will distort your view, he starts to see them as a friend, as an ally, as the right ones. Offenses will distort your view. And we just have to be so careful because offenses are more dangerous than you think. We have to deal with them. We have to learn to let some things go. We have to learn to offer some grace. I want you to think how Jesus responded to Judas. He keeps doing life with him. He keeps letting him around. He keeps sowing into him. He keeps letting him be a part of the biggest thing that will ever happen on the earth. Offenses will distort your view. Number two, offense will drag you further than you want to go. <laughs> I thought about Judas Here's how we know that the offense dragged him further than he wanted to go. Because if you go read the end of the story, we find out from Scripture that Judas ends up going back to those priests. And he takes the coins and he throws them back at them. And he says, that was innocent blood. This went further than I wanted to go. And the Bible tells us that he regretted it. The only thing is, now we think that's honorable to regret it. I want you to see the difference. He regretted it, but he never repented. He never repented. That's the difference between Judas and Peter. You know, Peter denied Jesus too. Peter betrayed Jesus too. The difference was Peter didn't just regret it. He fell on his knees, the Bible tells us, and said before the Lord, I have sinned against you and against heaven. And he repented. He repented of it. Now, Judas regretted it, but he never repented it. And, and it, dra it drug him further than he ever wanted to go. And if you don't know the story, how it ends with Judas, he ends up taking his own life. That's how his life ends. 
And we have to be careful because offenses will definitely drag you further than you want to go. Has anybody ever said something you wished you would have never said when you were offended? Raise your hand. Everybody look around at all the sinners in the room, all of us together, right? You said something, you're like, shoot, that was stupid. I wish I could take it back. Wish I, or you've done something. I was thinking about this because I, I barely ever do this, you know, barely ever. And so, but there was this one time, it was a long time ago, it was at least on Wednesday. And I've grown a lot since Wednesday. But there was this one time that I was just having a day. I mean, can a girl have permission to have a day? By that I mean I was in a mood. You know the mood, probably husbands do not elbow your wife right now. Oh. But you know the mood. I just, you know, everything annoyed me. Everything offended me. Everything irritated me. And the whole house knew it. Every cabinet knew it. Every door knew it. Even the dog we didn't have knew it. You know, I'm just, I'm just not having it that day. And I'm walking around, stomping around, spouting off. Like it was just a thing and everything was offending me. And I'll never forget, they didn't know I was around. And I happened to be walking by the room that all the kids and Kyle were sitting in. And I overhear Kyle say to the kids, kids, let dad give you some advice. That's what he sounded like. I'm still a little bitter. Let dad give you some advice. Whatever you do today. Don't go near mom. <laughs> so at the moment, I was able to process it, and I didn't say anything. I didn't even let them know I heard it. You know, I just kept walking around. And, and then eventually Kyle left. He went off to work. And I, and I was doing good, except then I started to think about it a little more. And I started to rehearse it. And I started to say, Hold up just a minute. Who does he think he is? He's a pastor. He can't say that. And then I thought about, and you know what? That's terrible parenting. You can't tell your kids to avoid their mom. I think that's illegal. I could call the cops on this one. And I'm just, I'm, I'm rehearsing it. And, and now I'm ticked. I'll be honest. I'm mad as fire. And I decide, you know what? I'm going to get him back. I'll show him if he ever says that. You want to see don't come near mom? I'm going to show you not come near mom. And so I started thinking about it. What could I do? And then I decided murder wasn't the option. So after we ruled that one out, I decided, you know what? I know what I'll do. I'm going to starve him. I am not going to cook for him today. He, there's going to be not one stitch of food in this house when that man gets home. So much so, I devised a plan. I mean, this was brilliant. I felt like it at the time. I told the kids, dinner's at 4 p.m. Because I knew that was an hour and a half before he would get home. And I made the kids come to the dinner table and because I, I knew I had to feed the kids. And they're like, Mom, we're not even hungry. It's 4 o'clock. What in the world? I'm like, you are going to sit down and eat, and I want you to eat every bite on that plate. There is nothing to be left over. No leftovers tonight, kids. You're eating it all. And I sure made sure everybody ate their plate. Then I took anything that was left over and I just trashed it. I didn't want it in the fridge. I didn't want it anywhere. I trashed it. I didn't order groceries that day. I made sure there was nothing to eat in that house. And so then Kyle comes walking in the door about 5.30 from work and he's like, and I'm just going to act like, I'm going to see how this goes. So I just act sweet as pie like nothing happened. Hey, babe, how's it going? And I'm waiting for him to say, what's for dinner? I can't wait because I've rehearsed this in my head and I cannot wait to see his face when I say, oh, dinner? I forgot about dinner. Do we normally have dinner? Oh, do you need to eat? I didn't know you eat food. 
and I've got it all. I've got it worked out. I have the whole conversation done in my head. And I'm like, hey, nothing. He's not asking. I mean, it's obvious there's nothing around. He's just kind of walking around doing his thing. And so then he never asks me. So now I'm offended that he's not offended that I'm offended. I'm, I'm like, this is, so I'm like, aren't you going to ask about dinner? He's like, oh, yeah, what's for dinner? I'm like, oh, nothing. I'm sorry, I didn't know you wanted dinner. And I go through my whole speech. And all at the end of it, I think we're going to have this good, you know, once in a while when you're in that mood, you want the drag and the knockout. I'm ready for it. And he says, oh, no problem, babe. I'll have a bowl of cereal and walks off. (laughs) So then later that night, you know, I started to think about it. I was like, man, how dumb am I? Do not laugh at him. (laughs) They should do a reality show on us. (laughs) But I did think about, do you know how much time I wasted that day? Do you know how much energy I wasted that day? Do you know how much pain I felt that day? Do you know how much anger I carried that day? Over one little comment that I deserved You know, sometimes we're offended and there's truth to what they're saying. Actually, a lot of times we're offended at truth. And here I am, I wasted a whole day, I made this whole plan. And honestly, if I'm being really honest, the whole thing was demonic. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like Satan was having a heyday with me that day. He was following me around with that trap everywhere. And I just kept climbing in and climbing in and climbing in. And then it would drag me off further than I wanted to go. It will drag you further than you want to go. The offense will. It will convince you that it's worth trading all of this for a little bag of coins. Where does it drug you? Because offenses are more dangerous than we think. We'll give up our family over it. Our marriage. Our kids, the relationship with our parents, our friends, our church, our job, our city. All because of the offense. Because offenses are more dangerous than we think. Third and final. Here it is, number three. Offense will destroy your God-given potential. Offense can destroy your God-given potential. You know, I was thinking about Judas because the fact was Judas had potential. We just think, we somehow think in our theology, and it's wrong, that because it would not line up with anything else in Scripture, that God used Judas to betray Jesus. That's why he put him on earth. No, God used Judas's choice to betray Jesus to bring about the plan of salvation. There's a big difference. Judas, here's what I'm saying. Judas didn't have to do it. And you go read the scriptures. Jesus kept throwing out little hints. You don't have to do it. The moment that Judas walks up to Jesus, Jesus says to Judas, Judas, really? You're going to betray me with a kiss? He's given him every opportunity to know you don't have to do this, Judas. Are you kidding? The Pharisees would have got it done no matter what. 
And the thing is that offense will destroy our God-given potential. And that's what it did in the story of Judas. But I was thinking about Judas, and maybe that's the example we're not going to follow. But there is somebody in Scripture that we can follow. And that was a man named Joseph. Now Joseph, and this is what I'll close with. Joseph was a man who also was betrayed. He had every reason to be offended. If you don't know the story, Joseph's brothers betrayed him because they were offended. They were offended at Joseph, so they betray him. They tell their dad that he's died. They sell him off into slavery, so he goes from being a slave. Then he gets thrown into prison, and then he spends years in prison. Then he gets out of prison, and he eventually ends up in the palace, the Bible tells us. And so he's in the palace, and the story goes that Joseph, is, there's a famine in the land, and Joseph's brothers have to come to the palace to get food. Now, when they arrive, they don't know it's Joseph, but Joseph knows it's them. What would you do? I mean, if it's me, I am telling the guards, off with their head. Here he is, here he is, here he is. Here's Joseph, it's the moment, it's the moment. You're gonna have a moment and you're gonna have a choice to make. When you have an opportunity to climb in the trap and be offended, what will you do? And here's Joseph, I want you to see how he responds because the brothers, once they figure out it's Joseph, they're scared. What is he gonna do to us? And they probably knew they deserved it. But Genesis chapter 50, verses 18 through 21 say this. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we're your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied. I, I mean, he didn't say, you hurt me, you dirty dogs. You sold me. Do you know what I've gone through? Do you know what that did? It ruined my life. Do you know how long I sat in a prison cell? Do you know how long I served as a slave? Do you know what happened to me? You betrayed me, your own brother, your own blood. Do you know what you did to me? It's not what he says. He says, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I punish you? In other words, Joseph knew in this moment, God is my defender. God is my rear guard. God is the one who will make this right. God will determine what should happen to you. I'm just encouraging you. I know in your offense, you think it's time to pick up the weapons and fight your own battle. I'm begging you to lay them down. I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you from the example of Joseph. Remember, God is your defender. God is your rear guard. God is your covering. He does go before you. He will make sure that any false testimony about you gets dealt with. Any betrayal, any hurt, he'll make it right. He'll make it right. He'll heal it in you. He'll make it right. It may not be on earth, but I guarantee you'll get a reward in heaven. And he says, I'm not, I'm not your judge. And then he speaks truthful. He says, you did intend to harm me. Yeah, what you did was wrong. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. And he reassured them by speaking kindly 
to them. You know what Joseph knew? He wasn't going to allow offense to destroy his God-given potential. You see, Joseph was placed on the earth to save an entire remnant of Israel, an entire nation, an entire people. He had protected the 12 tribes of Israel through which the line of Jesus would come, through which the Messiah, the Savior, would visit our world through. In that moment, he had the choice to make, and he could have traded it all. bag of coins but he knew there's too much at stake and so he let Jesus do the judging in the moment he offered forgiveness he offered kindness he let go of the offense and he cared for them you see offenses are more dangerous than you think and there's a lot on the line you can't see it now but a generation from now could be determined by my choice of what to do with the offense I feel right now. They'll distort your view, they'll drag you further than you wanna go and they could destroy the potential that God has on your life. But if we respond like Joseph, if we respond like Jesus, if we learn to let some things go, to offer some grace, to give forgiveness because Jesus forgave us. I'll leave you with this statement because it's changed my life. I think about it often every time I feel offended or hurt or betrayed or I wonder. Now, there's some boundaries you're going to have to put in place in some relationships. That's okay. That's healthy. But you don't have to walk around with an offended heart, and you'll know when you do. But there was this statement somebody made to me. I wish I could give them credit. I don't even remember who made it. But the statement was this. The one that looks the most like Jesus is the one that can sit at the table with Judas and offer grace. What will you do with that offense? There's more at stake than you think, but if you surrender it to God, you watch as he uses it all for his glory. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you for your hand on us today. I thank you for your life-giving, life-changing word. And now right now I wanna speak to some of you in the room and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never committed your life to him. You're not truly following him with all of your heart, all of your mind. Or maybe you did at one point, but something drug you away. Something caused you to walk away from him. And today's the day for you to come back to the Savior. And so if that's you in this room or watching online, I just want you to lift your hand so I know who I'm praying with today in this room. You're just responding to the Savior in this moment so he can be a refuge to you. I see your hands right where you are. Just pray this today in your heart. Today, Jesus, I choose you. Forgive me of all of my sin. Wash me clean. I give you my life today. Holy Spirit, fill me and teach me how to follow you the rest of my days. Everything I am, I surrender to you in this moment and I receive your gift of salvation in Jesus' mighty name. And now for the rest of you around the room as we continue to pray just all over the room, if you're sitting here and this has struck something, you know that you have been living with an offense. It could be small, it could be big. I don't know what it is, but you know that you're holding on to it. You know that it's trapped you. 
The truth is that as I was praying long before anyone was in the room this morning, I felt the, the spirit of God say he wanted to make a great exchange today. He's willing to take off the offense and impart to you a grace that you've never felt before to be able to be unoffendable with people you thought you could never do life with or, or be reconciled to. There's a special grace in the room today. And so all over the room, if that's you, you have an offense that you want to trade with God. You want to make the great exchange today. Would you just lift your hand all over the room? could be big. It could be small. You'll know what it is. It's someone, something, something that you're still carrying around all these years later. And you need to make the trade with God today. Father, we thank you for your presence here today. You see our hands, you see our hearts, you know every offense, every, every hurt, hurt place in our hearts that we're carrying. And today, God, according to your word, we choose to exchange it with you. And so right now we choose to forgive when it seems impossible to forgive. We choose to let some things go. We choose to no longer have our view distorted by our own offense. We choose to stop the enemy in his tracks. Devil, you are a liar. We call you out in now in Jesus' name and we declare the scheme and the traps that you've set for God's people. It will not flourish in the name of Jesus and we break them off now in the name of Jesus. Every offense being broken off now in the name of Jesus. And so God, here we are, we surrender to you. We want your purpose to be lived out through us in our lives so that we glorify you. And so we make that exchange today. May your grace fall on us to love like Jesus loved. Even those that have hurt us, may we love them like you love them, Jesus. May we see them like you see them. And so we surrender this moment to you. We make the trade now and we give you all the glory due to your name. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can you celebrate Jesus in this place? Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not. That's what happens when you wait. What happens when you wait? They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not faint. That's what happens when you wait. What happens when you wait? Oh, they that wait, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not faint. That's what happens when you wait. What happens when you wait? Oh, they that wait, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk, not get weary. They shall run and not faint. That's what happens when you wait. What happens when you wait? So wait on the 
for joining us. We here at Experience Church love you and are praying for you. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our hope.